I was a freshman and when I auditioned. And I was a sophomore in high school when the production took place. It was a musical, The Music Man. Some of you remember it, or parts of it. If nothing else, you might remember the song, 76 Trombones. The thing that stuck in my head, rather, was a line. Oh, we got trouble. Right here in River City. We got trouble, folks. Got to figure out a way to keep the young ones moral after school. Our children's children got trouble, trouble, trouble. Well, I'm just here to tell you, we got trouble. We've got a problem, folks. We can look around at our world. We can look around at our nation, our city, our homes, our families, our schools, and it's obvious we got a problem. And I know that there are those who say, well, pastor, you're just kind of a simpleton. And yes, I am, and I wear it with pride. But I want to tell you the simple truth about our problem. We have a sin problem. And nobody wants to talk about sin. I, I was in my office this morning and jumped online just very quickly to check out a few pastors and see what they were preaching this morning. And they were wonderful sermons. The deep love of God. The glorious grace of Jesus. I mean, there are sermon titles that I was drawn to. And I look around and I realize something. I don't draw the crowd some of those guys do. And maybe it's got something to do with my sermon titles. What happens when you sin? Most people don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to acknowledge sin. We don't want to admit sin. We don't even want to say that sin is a reality in our lives. But here is a reality. We all sin. There's just not any way around it. Even though we want there to be a way around it, there isn't. We are sinners. God's word is very plain that all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. But we also know this, that God provided a way for our sin to be overpowered, washed away, made as if it never was, and that was through his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect spotless lamb of Calvary. Now, Paul, we've been looking in Romans, Paul wrote this, this letter, and listen, he understood the struggle with sin. Paul even said of himself, he said, look, the things that I would do, I don't. And the things that I ought not to do, that's what I do. There's always this battle between the old man and the new man. Even among those that we would look at and say, man, he's a, he's a giant of the faith. No, he was just another man that God used in extraordinary ways. But in the midst of being used, he was fighting a battle every day to keep his flesh under control and let God have glory through his life. The same type of struggle and battle that we all face. Now, a lot of people have told me through the years, well, I don't believe in sin. Okay. That doesn't make it any less real. Well, if I do these things that you call sin, it's just impacting me. It doesn't affect anybody else. Not true. Not true, and, and I'm going to say it's not true on two, two levels. And number one, the first level, most people who will tell me that are going to disagree with because they don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I'm just going to tell you, your sin does impact others. It took Jesus to the cross to pay the price for your sin. But even beyond that, every time that you sin, every time that I sin, every time that we sin, it impacts the lives of people around us. 
And I know a lot of folks listen to this and say, man, I just don't know that I can agree with all this. Okay. But we're going to talk about it this morning. We're going to talk about what happens when you sin. And I think it's an important matter. And, and I, that's the reason I wanted to spend some time with it this morning. So I want to invite you, if you've got your Bible, to take it and turn to the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. And we're going to read the last two verses of that chapter and then roll over into chapter 6 and get the first couple of verses there. And, and once we've got those verses out there, we're going to spend a little bit of time just focusing on what happens when we sin. If you've got your Bible open there, if you can, well, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our fathers. We read together this morning from his word. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 20. <clears throat> Paul says, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. What, what he's saying is, before there was, listen, there was sin in the world before the law was ever given. But how do you recognize, how do you measure, how do you know the sin if you don't know the right from the wrong? And that's what the law gave us. And so when the law came, man's awareness of sin increased. Because all of a sudden, we could see what God's expectation was versus what we were doing. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. No, no way, folks. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray in these moments that you would bless the reading of your word. As we spend these moments together that you would speak to our hearts. Teach us your truth. Help us to see the reality. Not only of who we are, but who you are a righteous and holy God. And Father, I pray that today you would convict us of sin. If there are those in this room who do not know you, I pray that your spirit would convict them, call them, draw them to yourself. That today might be a time of new beginning and new life for them. And Father, for those of us who are your children, I pray for conviction and turning. I pray for repentance. I pray that you would begin a work in our lives that would carry on throughout this day and the days to follow, that you might be glorified in our lives. Father, speak to our hearts the truth we need to hear this morning, for we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. We sin. This is our broken reality. The person on your right, the person on your left, the person in front of you, the person behind you, it doesn't matter which direction you look, you're going to be looking at a sinner. That's our broken reality. But as believers, we live with the knowledge that as God's children, we're secure in our salvation. Even though we fall, even though we fail, our sin, our failures cannot separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, Paul, Paul laid that out so beautifully in the 8th chapter of Romans. And you know what? It's not just there. I, I want you to understand that our security 
is found throughout Scripture, but even Jesus himself talked about it in John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. He said, there's not anybody, there's not anything, there's not anyone who is big enough to take you out of the Father's hand. Once you belong to him, you are his for good or bad. Now, it's great to know that truth. But the problem is that too many people, having heard that truth, having said, I want that truth, that's my reality, I want that to be my reality, I am saved, I'm always saved, nothing I can do can ever remove me from the hand of God. That's a great truth to embrace. But if you take that truth, and you let your flesh take control once more, you find yourselves going down one of two tracks. Track number one is you take your salvation and say, this is my get-out-of-jail-free card. This is my license. I can sin. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. I can break every law of God that I choose, and he can't do anything about it. Now, first off, I'm just going to tell you something, and if this offends you, I'm sorry. Maybe we can get past it if you'll just keep listening. But if that's your attitude, you're not a child of God to begin with. All right? Our salvation is not a license to sin. But rather, it is our ticket to bring glory to our Father. But a lot of folks have kind of got that thing twisted up. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. The second thing is a thing we see happening all around us today. And it's gone on for a long time. It's not anything new today. It's just kind of the way man functions. And it's, it's this. You know, we, we get to that place where sometimes we get so uncomfortable in sin that we decide we got to do something. But we don't want to give up our sin. So what we do is we try to change the rules and make our sin okay. As a culture, as a society, we're great at this. We pass laws to legislate evil constantly. We figure, well, yeah, you know, God's word says it's wrong, but the law says it's okay. So it's all right if we, no, 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 no. I just want to tell you something. There is no law made of man and there are no courts on this earth that outrank God on his throne. And what he says is what is most important. And, and I just want you to understand something. We sit and talk about this and all those vague generalities. I don't want to do that today. I, I know your time is precious. And so I, I want to get personal about this. So here's what I want to do. I just want to spend the next few minutes explaining to you. That, please understand something when I say this. I, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I want you to know before I ever start into this. God already took me to the woodshed and beat me up. I've already been dealt with, okay? So whenever I say what happens when you sin, I'm saying what happens when we sin, when I sin and you sin, and we all together sin. That's the thing I want us to focus on. That's the thing I want us to think about. What happens when you sin? Well, I'm just going to walk through this, and we're going to break it down and make it easy, okay? What happens when you sin? Sin will affect your fellowship with God and others. It changes everything. It, it changes the way we feel about ourselves. It changes the way we look at others. It changes the way others look at us. 
Here's how it comes. Years after he had spent his time walking with Jesus, as an elder statesman of the church, the apostle John sits down and writes some letters. They're included in in the New Testament back toward the back. And in 1 John chapter 1, he says, look, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, that's a pretty simple little statement, and, and it sounds really good. You know, if we walk in the light as he walks in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But there's an implication there. You know what the implication is? If we walk in the darkness, since he's walking in the light, there is no fellowship. It's broken. And we need to understand that one of the greatest, sweetest, most wonderful blessings of Christian faith is the sweetness of fellowship that we have with Jesus. The sweetness of fellowship that we have with God. And a lot of people say, well, you know, there are other things. No, no. I just want you to go back in your mind to the beginning of this book. Genesis. The very beginning. Y'all know the story, I hope. If not, let me give you a quick refresher. God created everything. He created a man and a woman. He put them in a garden. And he wanted to have fellowship with them. Sweet fellowship with them. And so he put them in the garden. He gave them free run of the place. And he came down and we're told that in the cool of the evening he would walk in the garden with them. Man and God together in fellowship. So different. Creator and created. And yet they had fellowship with one another. And then sin came in. Sin happened. Y'all Hopefully got this, you know, I don't care how you did a piece of fruit, an apple, whatever you, however you choose to tell the story or picture the story in your mind. But here's the bottom line, sin. Man disobeyed God and sin entered into the picture. When sin came into the picture, God comes to have his fellowship time with man. Can't find him. Now, pause. I know he's God. He knew exactly where they were couldn't find them because he's playing the game with them they're hiding why are they hiding they're hiding because for the first time in their lives they looked at each other and said you're naked me too we can't let God see us like this how did they know because they had done what God told them not to do sin had come in the fellowship was fractured it fractured their fellowship between themselves and God he said, yeah, preacher, but you said God and others. Oh, the story's not over yet. God finds them. And he asked them, what have you done? And do you know what the first thing was that sorry rascal Adam did? This woman you gave me. Yeah. Go ahead and hang your head in shame, guys. First thing he did was try to blame his bride for his sin. But before you get too puffed up and, and, and proud of yourself, ladies, as soon as he finished with that, she said, oh, it wasn't me, it was a snake. It was this serpent. He deceived me. He, he told me that it was going to be different than that. And, and look at what happened. Their fellowship with God had been broken by sin, and then their fellowship with one another. They're trying to throw each other under the bus. Listen, this is what sin does. It breaks our fellowship with God and with others. And it's not just in the story of Eden. 
We can see it all through Scripture. We can see it all throughout history. Some of you are sitting in your minds, you're replaying parts of your life right now. We see it around us every day. Understand this simple, simple truth. Sin, walking in darkness, destroys fellowship. Paul lived in the middle of it. He saw it. He struggled with it. He wrote about it. In Romans chapter 13, he he said, let us behave decently. I like that. That's not too high a standard, right? Let's behave decently. But then he gets personal. He said, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. He wrote about it again. Ephesians chapter 5. And again, man, he gets personal in this. Among you, he says, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because these things, he says, are improper for God's holy people. Nor obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. All these things are out of place. They don't belong, he says. And then he gets right down to the brass tacks. I want you to listen, we're talking about broken fellowship, right? Listen to what he says at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater. No one like that has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. If you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, you have broken fellowship completely with the Father. What hope is there for us? I'm glad you asked. See, this has been the plight of man all throughout Scripture and all throughout history. But the psalmist, the psalmist saw it and and he figured it out. He understood it in Psalm chapter 5. I mean, right there early in the book, he, he says, you're not a God. You're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. In fact, With you, the wicked cannot dwell. They they can't even come into your presence. The arrogant can't stand before you. You hate everyone who does wrong. Then he says this, you destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful men, those are the ones you abhor. And then the psalmist said this, but I. He didn't think he was better than anybody else. He just said, but I. By your great mercy will come into your house in reverence. I will bow down before you in your holy temple. How did he get there? By his great mercy. Listen, when we sin, sin affects our fellowship with God and with each other. If you think that's not true, you're fooling yourself. But I got a lot more to tell you, so I'm not going to stop there, all right? I want us to move on because I want you also to understand that your sin will affect your family. Man, I could park here and spend weeks. And I could even get some people to testify. Because I know you understand what I'm saying. But I don't want to spend that much time on this. I just want us to get right down to it. I want you to understand sin will affect your family. And David is a prime example in Scripture about this. 
Do we continue in sin after we know God? Paul says, heavens no. Well, David knew God, but he still sinned, didn't he? You're familiar with his story. He commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then he commits murder to cover it up, killing Uriah, her husband. He thought his sin was hidden, and it was, except from God. And so God uncovers it and sends to him the prophet Nathan. And he's confronted with his sin. Here's the marvelous thing about this whole tale. David repented of his sin. He confessed it. He repented of it. But can I tell you something? There's still consequences. Even when we repent, even when we confess, even when we receive God's forgiveness, there are still consequences sometimes that follow with it. David's child with Bathsheba died. And not only that, but his family was basically a train wreck from that point forward. His children rebelled. It it was just, it was a nightmare of a happening. But I want you to understand something. Sin affects our families. Moms and dads, I want you to just hear what I'm saying to you. Your kids are watching. Your kids are listening. And they will follow in the steps you put on the ground. Oh, Grandma and Grandpa. (laughs) Yeah, they're watching you too. They will follow your tracks. So many examples. I mean, it's one of those things, if I wanted to spend all day here, I could, but I, I don't know even where hardly to begin. But if you were to walk through Scripture, you got Adam and Eve and their sin, their disobedience to God. What happens in the first generation of their children? Murder. Fast forward, we've got Lot and his family. Oh, boy. Talk about a mess. And then we can keep going and we get just to Israel, his sons. What what a mess that was. Faked the murder of a brother, sold him into slavery, lied to dad about it. And then had to come back and be confronted with their sin years later. What a mess. Or how about that priest Eli and his sons? That was another one that just almost destroyed the country. Then you get to David's family. And, I mean, we could just keep going and going and going, can't we? Uh, by the way, before you get to feeling too bad about yourself, I want you to understand something. There is no such thing as a family that is not dysfunctional. All right? It, we're all dysfunctional. It's just a matter of which dysfunction do we have and how deep is it. But we can do everything in our power to follow the Lord and to walk in His ways and to teach that to our children. All of us know families. We know individuals whose lives have been wrecked by following and pursuing after the wrong things in life. We need to set our hearts on the things of God. Listen, this is the reason that Paul says here, do we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No way! By no means! Don't do that! Why? It's destructive. The negative impact of poor leadership in families and in individual lives is not restricted to ancient times or ancient literature. You can probably walk through your neighborhood and look at various homes and say, yeah, you're not going to believe what happened over here. I know this couple over here, you're not going to believe what took place over there. And if you don't know your neighborhood well enough to be able to do that, here's here's a reality check for you. Just turn on the newscast one night and watch what's happening in your city. Watch what's happening in your country. Watch what's happening around the world. And you'll understand, we got a problem, and sin is at the root of it. 
And that's okay, preacher. You're talking about broken fellowship with God and other people and my family and, you know, those things. We, we got that under control. Okay. Well, let's keep rolling then because I'm going to tell you something else. Sin will affect you physically. Paul wrote about the Lord's Supper over in 1 Corinthians in his letter to the Corinthian church. You remember? In his chapter 11. And he told them about what he had heard and learned about the Lord's Supper that night in the upper room when Jesus and his apostles were together and they shared the Passover Seder together before Jesus was going to be betrayed and then crucified. And so the setting is really kind of common to the church. He's talking about the local church coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. They're, they're gathering to have communion with one another and with the Lord around the table. And it's a great thing. And then Paul's talking about this and all of a sudden he changes directions. And it's kind of like, what, what just happened here? We're talking about having a great time of fellowship and communion. And then he starts talking about sin. He talks about sin. He says, don't, don't come in here and do this unworthily. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure your mind is right. And he says, you're not doing that. That's the reason that many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. He says, your sin's making you sick. And not only that, it's killing you. It's killing you. People say, well, that's going too far. No, it's not. Remember what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. And folks, I want to tell you something about the wages of sin. They can be paid in the here and now. They can be paid in the there and after. Or they can be paid in both. That's up to God. Sin always does, always has, and always will have consequences. It has consequences today. I remember growing up in a church not vastly unlike this one. We had kids all over the place. Man, we had a great time. I got in so much trouble. That's another story for another day. But you know one of my favorite stories when I was in Sunday school? The story of Samson. What little boy doesn't like the story of Samson? This dude's buff. He's a beast. I mean, nobody could handle this guy. His strength was unlimited. I mean, armies come against him. I'll pick up a bone and just beat him out. And he does. People come after him. They tie him up. Snap. They chain him. Pop. I mean, what little boy's not going to be impressed with this guy? And that's kind of how we tell the story. And that's kind of what we do with the whole tale about Samson. But can I tell you something? I think we're missing the point of the story. The point of the story is not that he had this beautiful long hair like Fabio. And it's not that he had this incredible strength that was beyond measure. The moral of the story is the strongest man that ever lived, sin made him a slave. It stole his strength and made him a weakling. That's what sin does. You think it doesn't affect you. I'm telling you, it affected Samson physically. It changed everything for him. And not only does it do that, but I want to tell you something. It brings about such anguish. Read the last portion of Samson's story when you go home this afternoon. A prisoner, blinded and bound, Crying out to God. Just one more time. Just, just one more time. Let me have that strength. He was suffering in the darkness of his blindness. Anguish. 
Physical? Yeah, his eyes were gone, folks. They, they'd been destroyed. And in that moment when that strength came and God said, okay, I'll grant it to you. Samson did what so many people would say was unthinkable. Yes, he destroyed that pagan temple. What an awesome guy. He destroyed the enemies of God. What an awesome soldier. But don't miss this truth either. Samson took his own life in his despair and his shame. Folks, listen to me. Whenever you let sin take control of your life, it begins to work in your head. There is guilt. There is shame that comes with it. You can hide it. You can cover it up, but God knows it's there, and it's going to work inside your mind. And there's a great biblical example of this by a man of the name of Judas. One of the twelve, handpicked by Jesus himself. Walked with him, talked with him, ate meals with him, watched all the miracles, listened to all the teaching. For three years, he was there all the time. So trusted, so loved, that they made him the treasure of the group. But then in one act of sinfulness, that probably was brought on by a whole pattern of sinfulness that we don't know anything about, he finds himself with such shame, such guilt, such remorse that he chose to take his own life. Sin affects the body too. I doubt that there's anyone in this room, unless it's a child, who has not seen or does not recognize the physical results of people who have engaged in sinful lifestyles, whether it's substance abuse or whatever it might be. So many times I've had people say to me, man, talking about a man or a woman that maybe we've just seen, they look like they've had a pretty hard life. Yeah. And so many times that hard life is self-inflicted wounds of sin that's been engaged in that could have been avoided. Listen, sometimes life becomes more of a challenge than it ought to be because in our bodies we are bearing the results of sinful choices. It affects us physically. We have to pay those prices. And I know, you know, that there are those who are going to say, well, you know, that's, that's my choice. It affects others. People want to tell me it doesn't affect anybody else, but it does. It does. I've had to stand next to children and explain why. They want to know why. Why did my dad do this? Why did my mother choose this? Only God knows. But because of their choice, now their children, their grandchildren, who live without someone who was so important in their lives. It affects us physically. When it affects us mentally, it will relay itself out physically. You just have to wait for it. But do you know there's something more important than everything else I've said? Everything I've said to you is true. I don't doubt it. I don't question it. I think Scripture bears it out. But there's one other thing that's more important than all of that. And I want to share that with you before we leave today. When we sin, your sin will affect you forever. Forever. It's not just about the here and now. It's about what comes after. 
Paul makes a statement here. He says, we died to sin. Do you know what that means? That means we have been born again. We have been given new life. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are dead to sin. We live in a world that has grown weary of guilt and shame. People don't want to hear it. They don't want to have to deal with it. That's why people don't want to hear sermons like this one. This is why I don't want to preach sermons like this one. But I want you to understand this morning that everyone has within them an awareness of right and wrong. The Spirit of God gives that to us. God created that in us, but we struggle to do what's right. That's the flesh. And when we do wrong, it brings regret, it brings sorrow, it brings shame, it brings guilt. And those things wear us out. And we find ourselves in our weariness praying like Ezra did. When he said, I'm too ashamed, I'm too disgraced to even lift up my face to you, O God. Because my sins are higher than my head. My guilt is piled up to the heavens. We grow tired of it. We don't want that kind of guilt or shame. And so we start trying to do other things. I'm going to ignore my feelings. I'm going to act like I don't feel bad about this. And, and, and if that ignoring doesn't work, then before long, I'm going to you know what? I'm going to distract myself with something else. I'm, I'm going to let other things take over. And this is where substance comes in. This is where other addictions and abuses come in. And before long, it, we just begin to heap pile upon pile upon pile. And things get worse and worse. Or uh, we say, you know what? We just change the rules. Like I told you earlier. We just change the rules. We'll make it okay by cultural standard. I got a quick question. Have any of y'all ever been in a situation or seen a situation where you watched someone and maybe it was in your own home, maybe it was a child, maybe it was you yourself, but you've been in a situation or seen a situation where you looked at somebody and you said, you know what, they're not sorry for what they did, they're just sorry they got caught. Y'all ever felt that way or seen a situation where you thought that was the truth? Okay. Did you know that there really is a difference between the two? Did you know it's a biblical difference? A lot of people don't know that. I, I, I say that and they say, no, no. Now you're, you're really starting to stretch things, preacher. No, I'm not. I'm not. In fact, Paul wrote about it. If you've got your Bible in hand, I want you to look at it with me because I want you to see. I'm not stretching this out on you. I want you to see what I'm telling you is God's honest truth, Okay? If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Because I want you to see these verses with me. Because I think these verses are so incredibly important. Because this is the crux of forever. This is where forever intersects with our present moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Find verse 9. Paul writes and he says, Now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. 
Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow brings death. Just being sorry you got caught, nothing's changed in you. You're still where you are. You're still in that sin. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, and repentance leads to salvation. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, a godly lifestyle brings peace now and forever. My friends, hear me well. One day, every person, every person will be called to stand before the judge. All of us. And I know Christian people who've told me, man, I am so glad I don't have to do that. Yes, you do. Every person will stand before the judge. God's word teaches that there are two judgments. The lost will appear before the great white throne of God as it's recorded in Revelation chapter 20. And I just want you to know something. If you live your life, you leave this life and you find yourself before the great white throne, there is no hope. Hope ended in this life. All of those who are believers, according to 2 Corinthians 5, will appear before the Bema seat of Christ. And we too will give an accounting of our words and our actions, our thoughts and our deeds, the lives that we have lived here. Everything we've done, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, will be tested by fire. And what is done for the Lord will remain and that which was done for any other purpose will be consumed by the fire. Judgment day is either going to be a day of great rejoicing or it is going to be a time of terror. Decision has to be made in this life. And it may be that some are going to make that decision in these next few precious moments and so let me ask you the one question the question that Paul asked the question that ties this all up the question each one of us has to answer shall we go on sinning shall we go on sinning Choose wisely. Because the day of the Lord is coming. It's approaching quickly. And John gave us a word. He says, now dear children, continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Shall we continue in sin? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to let the Spirit of God judge us every day. And every day we need to be in pursuit of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ as we walk with Him on a daily basis. But if you're in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord, maybe, maybe you're filled with doubts and maybe no one's ever answered your questions, but at the same time, you're tired of dealing with the guilt and the shame and, and you're struggling with it and, and you want to know, what do I do to change my life? You don't. 
you come to Jesus and let him change your life. Because he's the only one who can do it. Through 40 years in the ministry, I've had so many people tell me, Preacher, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Preacher, I'm going to get my life right and then I'll be back in church. Let me just tell you how that works out. It doesn't. The first wind that blows that leaf they turned over flips back. Those people that are trying to get their lives right figure out something. They're not strong enough in their own power to do it. And that's the reason I always try to tell people and encourage people and challenge people and point people toward Jesus Christ because he is the only power. He is the only person. He is the only one. He is the only thing that I have ever seen that can take old things and make them new. He is the only one who can take an old man and make him into a new creation. He is the only one who can take a sinful man and make him pure. He's the only one who can take a man who's dead in sin and make him alive again. He's the only one who can give life. Would you call on him today? My friends, the days are growing short. It's time now to look to Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of invitation, of commitment, of surrender. I I just want to invite you. Call on Jesus. I want to invite you. Surrender to Jesus. I want to challenge you. Quit fighting with Jesus. Let him have his way. You may be thinking to yourself, I'm not sure what to do. That's why in just a moment I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. If you don't know what to do, but you know you need to do something, would you come and take me by the hand and say, Preacher, I need to do something. Okay, what do you need to do? I want that relationship with Jesus. I won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but I'd love to explain to you how you can become a child of the King today. Should we continue in sin, brothers and sisters? Absolutely not. This is a day of repentance. This is a time for acknowledging sin and turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. In Him, there's life. In Him, there's hope. In Him, there's fulfillment. In Him, there's forgiveness. And He offers it today freely. Would you take it? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. In a world that seems bent on self-destruction... You invite us to be different. You invite everyone to be different. To walk in the ways of Jesus. To follow Him. To be obedient to Him. Father, I pray right now for all of us in this room. You're the only one who knows each heart. You know each situation. Father, you know those who belong to you and you know those who are running from you. You know those who are hidden. And you know those who are reaching out. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would work in hearts and minds. 
that you would convict us of our sin, that you would call us to yourself, that you would draw us to the cross where we might see the Savior and understand that in Him and only in Him there is hope. Father, if there's someone here who does not know you, I pray. Father, God, save them. They can't save themselves, and none of us in this room can save them, but you can. So I pray today, Father, do what only you can do. Touch hearts. Change lives. Heal the wounds. Restore the brokenness. Make us whole in Jesus. For it's in his name that I pray this. Amen.